Turn in your Bible to the book of Genesis. You know, we're, we've been in our sermon series talking about when I grow up. Now, some of you still got some growing up to do, and I'm talking about our senior saints here. Amen. But uh, uh, all of us, at some point in our life, wherever you are on the spectrum, we always look to the future. and We think, when I get to this point in my life, X, Y, Z, A, B, C. Right? When I get to this point in my life, I want that. When I grow up, I'm going to have this. I mean, I've listened to my kids say that a lot, right? When I grow up, you know, and I'm thinking, brother, money's not growing on trees when you grow up either, okay? And we often have these big dreams, and goals are a good thing. We should have goals, grateful for goals, right? But we also think, when we think about the future, many times we think about when we get married, right? When I grow up, I'm going to marry you know, this kind of person or that person. Some of you thought you were going to marry a celebrity, but you didn't. Amen. And, uh, but Alicia, she didn't, uh, Alicia didn't want to get married at all when I met her and I fixed her wagon. Amen. I got her locked in. And so, but we've all got goals. So this morning we're going to continue to drill down a little bit deeper on this subject of marriage. Now we've recognized so far that we don't want what normal is, that normal just doesn't work. We don't want relationships and marriages like most normal people because most people are hurting and they're afraid and they're insecure and they're divorced or they're having problems and issues we want something different and now if we want to have something different if we're actually going to have something different than what the world has that means that we're going to have to do something different that we have to do something different we can't keep doing what the world does and somehow believe that we're going to get different results Now, in the first week, we talked about leaving and cleaving. We said uh, that God uh, has some things in the marriage relationship that you need to leave behind, right? The first thing we talked about was the parents. Some of you need to leave your parents behind. You're married now. It doesn't mean that they're not a priority. They're just not what? The priority. And some of you, you've got some other people that you need to leave behind as well as you cleave to your spouse. Some of you've got uh, past relationships you're still hanging on to that you know that aren't right for you and your heart. And uh, then also, we've got friends that sometimes overly influence us beyond our spouse, right? It's not that you can't have friends. You can't have best friends. But they're they're a priority, but they're no longer what? The priority anymore. Your spouse is your priority. And then some of us, we bring so much baggage into the marriage relationship, right? And we bring all of these past problems. And what ends up happening is is our current spouse is paying for the sins of somebody that you was in a relationship with before, right? He was a cheater. So now you treat your husband like he's a cheater. He's never cheated on you, but you treat him like a cheater, right? Maybe your last relationship, they were just overly controlling. And you're never going to have a woman tell you what to do again. And now your wife can't even suggest what's to eat without you thinking she's micromanaging your life. What's happened is you've brought some problems. You brought some baggage down the aisle with you when you said, I do. And you need to deal with these issues and move on. Give it to God and leave it in the rearview mirror so that you can cleave, so that you can become one with your spouse. And talking about, so there's some things we need to leave behind. There are things that we need to move into. And so we talked about last week in the marriage relationship that if we're going to have something different than what the world has to offer, that we needed to be focused on Christ, that Jesus needs to be the center of our heart, our life, our relationship, even our marriage relationship. And we talked about one of the ways that you could do that is by praying with your spouse, that you need to pray with your spouse. We talked about the fact that families that 
pray together, stay together. And the statistics prove that. Many times, uh, if, if, if I did, many of you have had uh, a marriage before the one that you're in now, if I asked you, did you pray with your previous spouse? 99.9% of you would say no. Do you want to divorce proof your marriage? Pray, be sincere. Now, don't just do a Mickey Mouse, Polly Warner Cracker kind of prayer. Be sincere, but pray with your spouse. And almost statistically, it removes the, the option for divorce in your life and in your relationship. So today I want to talk to you, though. So we talked about leaving and we've talked about cleaving. And today I want to continue down that path and talk about having a plan. Being on the same battle plan together. You know, the average couple gets engaged and they're all lovey-dovey. You know what I'm talking about, right? Kind of get on your nerves a little bit. They're just floating, walking on sunshine, you know, all just lovey-dovey and everything he does is cute. You know, that burp that you like so much now turns into a fart that you're going to kill him for later. <laughs> what you think is cute now isn't cute. You, you start thinking, are you ever going to grow up? right? You start thinking, is this the woman that I married? Right? And so when you ask one of these couples, they're walking on sunshine, they're living on love, right? Their, their whole life is a Bon Jovi song. And so, and so, and, and here, here, here's what happens. They're living life like that. And if you were to say, Hey man, why should you get married? You're, you guys engaged? You're going to get married? Yeah. Why should you get married? And then they probably don't have an answer. But if they do, it's going to be like, well, I just love him so much. And, and right, and he's going to blow. She's just the one for me, man. And so, or, you know, it's just, and when I'm with him, I'm just so happy. When I'm with her, it just feels so right, so nice when I'm with her. We should get married. What I want to help you to see this morning, write this down, take some notes. Look at this next line. That the key ingredient of a godly marriage is unity. Unity in Christ. I mean, you could be united around all the wrong things, but you need to be united in Christ. That we're going to be people who are Jesus focused and we're on mission. We're united on mission. Happiness is, like we talked about, happiness is, he just makes me so happy. Happiness is a byproduct of unity in the marriage. All I got to do, if, if you're unhappy right now, I guarantee in your marriage, you don't feel very united. And so when we're united on mission, That'll bring some of this happiness that we're looking for. But we have to be unified around something bigger than ourselves. Look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. It's like God is telling us something here. Verse 28, then God blessed them and God said to them, man, just do your thing. Do whatever makes you feel, hey, whatever makes you happy, do that. Whatever completes you, do that. Go and do whatever it is that you want to do, right? Just go and do it, and I'm going to bless it. Is that what it says? God said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. In other words, the very first thing God did to this couple was give them a mission, was to give them something to do. The very first thing God says, the very first couple is, you've got a mission. The very last thing that Jesus said before he ascended to the right hand of the Father is, you've got a mission. Look at it in the book of Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. God has given us 
a mission. And God has given you a mission as well. Now, when should you get married? When is it the right time to get married? When is it the right person to get married to? Do you know? Look at this next slide. When you can serve God better together than you can apart. When you can serve God better together than you can apart. What I'm saying is this. If you cannot serve God better with this man, with this woman, you shouldn't be marrying them. The biggest plague facing the Christian church in 2020 are Christians being unequally yoked. Getting married, joining together with unbelievers. And then after that, it's struggle after struggle after struggle. Or maybe not even unbelievers, but extremely lukewarm, cold-hearted to the gospel, to the mission that God has given us. If you can't serve God better together, you shouldn't be together. One of you is dragging the other one down. You need to be on mission together. So God, the very first thing God says is, Adam and Eve, here's your mission. Go out, multiply, subdue the earth, conquer it. And then the next verse, look at Genesis 2, verse 24. This is our main verse we've been looking at. Therefore, man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Two becomes one. God wants to unite. Write this down. While God seeks to unite, the devil wants to divide. While God wants to bring together, the devil wants to separate. While God wants to unite your enemy, the devil wants to divide. And in the first service when I was looking at this, it's funny how close unite looks to untie. You change a couple of letters and it becomes untied. So I should have said while God seeks to unite, the devil seeks to untie. Untie. He wants to divide. He wants to uh, separate you. He hates God and he hates you. He's our spiritual enemy. You can look at Adam and Eve that God created them. God put them in this perfect environment. He gave them a, a mission. They're happy. They're blessed. They're stress-free. They're living the good life. They're fulfilled. They're satisfied. They're in love. How much better could it get than that? Then an enemy comes up in the form of a serpent. An enemy that wanted to disrupt their relationship with God, wanted to distract them from their divine mission and destroy the unity they had in God. So what does the serpent do? First thing the serpent does is he separates Eve and Adam. He gets Eve over here, you know, gets over. And that's the first that he always separates. He always divides. Gets Eve over here. Look what he says. Genesis chapter 3 in your Bible, verse number 1. He said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? The first thing the devil wanted to do was uh, get her to doubt the word of God. The first thing the devil wants to do in your life is get you to doubt the word of God. He want, listen, if, did, did the Bible really say, did God really mean, you know, I can't believe in a God that would ever say that this is wrong. Well, it doesn't matter if you believe it or not. God said it. He meant it. And it's not going to change the truth or how factual the word of God is one iota with how much you agree with it. God said it. And that's all there is to it. He said, you shall not. Has God really said? Did God really say? Young people, did God really, does God really expect for you to wait until you're married to be intimate with another person? You're absolutely right. That's the standard. And anything short of that is absolute sin and unholiness and unrighteousness. The good news, though, is that even if you've been there, done that, God, it doesn't have to be the end of your story. God will forgive you. He'll cleanse you. And he'll give you a mission and a purpose in this life. But here the devil is, gets Eve over here. Did God really say that? And then he offers this, this fruit, this forbidden fruit. And he, here's this fruit. And, it, you, know, you know, Eve, this, this is what will satisfy. This is what will make you feel... 
This will make you wise, right? This will give you everything that you need. So she ate it. And then she went and gave some to Adam. And then Adam ate it. And the reason is because, I mean, if you set food in front of a man, he eats it. Amen? That's just, that's kind of the rule. But by the way, maybe if you're, uh, maybe uh, one of the things that we believe in is the headship of the man and the family and in the home. And maybe you don't believe that, right? You've got some other, this is the model that we get in scripture. And I'm not teaching on that right now, so I'm not going to go in depth. But I do want you to recognize if you read this story for yourself, what you're going to see, here's what happened. Eve ate, nothing happened. She gave it to Adam. Adam ate. Now they realize, oh man, we've messed up. And now they realize they're naked. And they're embarrassed. And they're ashamed. It was only when Adam ate that sin entered into the world. Why? Because he was supposed to be leading his wife into a godly direction. And Adam was AWOL. He was missing from duty when the serpent called Eve over to the sun. But again, she eats it, he eats it. They realize we're naked, we're so ashamed, we're so embarrassed. Think, oh, think about this real quick. Think about, um, uh, any, any of your kids ever run around naked when they're little? Okay, I've got some neighbors. Uh, you might be here, I don't know. This is, this is on you. You shouldn't do something from a preacher. Um, well, you know we talk about people. Uh, I've got some neighbors, their kids are too old. They're still running around outside in their Superman underwear, amen? I'm like, dude, you're 14, go put some clothes on. But any of your little kids at an approach, like, like if you let, you put them in the tub and if you let them little slippery boogers get loose, they're gone. Run into the house. Naked time, right? And they don't care. They don't have a problem. They think it's the funniest thing in the world. Ha 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 ha. Right? What the hell was, that was Adam and Eve. Ha 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 No, I'm just kidding. Listen, that's Adam and Eve. Completely not embarrassed, not ashamed, as innocent as a little child that just got out of the bathtub. Clean. But then they eat that fruit and they recognize that they've sinned, that they're dirty, that they're naked. And God shows up. God comes on the scene and he basically says, you know, what happened? Adam, where are you? Right. And so what does Adam do? He does what so many of us do. He blamed God and he blamed Eve. Look at it. And verse number one. I mean, not verse number one, verse number 12. The man said, the woman whom you gave to me, God, you gave her to me. And she gave me of the tree and I ate it. So Adam blames God and Eve. Eve blames the serpent, and the serpent didn't have a leg to stand on. I wish the first service was here. They thought it was funny. Amen? Y'all just rotate out. No, I'm just kidding. And I told it in the first service, and uh, those of you who are part of our group, I said, hashtag Scott joke. Amen? So, but his is usually better than that. Whatever. Y'all groaned at me. Y'all clap for his bad jokes. But we say it in a well, goodness, uh, we say it in a wedding ceremony, don't we? What God has put together, what? Let no man, let no one separate. And that's what the devil is doing. He wants to separate what God has brought together. And so we need to be unified on mission. We have to be on the same battle plan, right? Uh, we got any soldiers here, all of our army guys? So raise your hands. We had some several. Yeah, yeah. I'm not gonna call you up here. Don't volunteer for nothing. Listen. Listen, none of the soldiers are going to raise their hand because it's like volunteering. Amen. They're not going to do that. They've been around long enough. They've got a thing. I, was thinking, I thought about this. They've got a thing called the battle buddies. 
<laughs> Battle buddies. Is that a, that's the thing? Is that still a thing? Yeah, it started in boot camp. Well, man, all my Marine buddies, we laugh at y'all so hard that you got a battle buddy. It's the worst named thing ever in the history of the world. It sounds like something you cuddle up with and sleep at night, right? I've got my battle buddy, and I'll go to sleep, right? It's naked time. Anyway, but anyway, while the name makes me laugh, the, the idea behind it is solid, and it's good. It's this idea you got somebody that you're responsible for them, they're responsible for you. You keep each other accountable. You watch out for each other. This is your, your battle buddy, right? You are on the same team. You're going in the same direction, and you're going to take care of each other. Listen, your husband, your wife, you need to be battle buddies for each other. You need to be on mission, on track together. Amos chapter 3, verse 3 says, can two walk together unless they are agreed? No, if you and your wife are going in different directions, listen, if you were to go for a walk, but you couldn't determine where you're going to go, so y'all just walk separately, you're both walking, but you're not walking together. You're not walking together. And you need to learn to walk together. The word division literally means two visions. How are you going to get anywhere with two separate visions in marriage? So how can we please God? Be on mission, have our battle buddies, and have our battle plan, and be on mission for God. Look at this next slide. Where there's no unity in mission in marriage, well, that's when we find ourselves struggling. That's why it's so hard. Because you're together, but you're not together. Why God wants you to unite, the enemy would divide. Write this down. Most marriages fail when you're together, but you're not unified. When you're in the same room but not on the inside, right? When you're together, but you don't have unity of mission, you're not on fire for God, the things of God you have. Jesus isn't the focus of your life. That's one of the greatest tragedies of marriage, man, is to be together, but not unified. Now, one of the coolest couples in all of the Bible, they're only mentioned uh, six times in the Bible. I love this couple. And the reason why I love this couple is they're always mentioned together. Every time you see their names, both if you see the husband, there's the wife. If you see the wife, there's the husband. You never see one without the other. And they were an incredibly strong couple. They were Jesus-focused, incredibly united on mission for God. Look at this next slide. Priscilla and Aquila. Look what Paul said about them in Romans 16, verse 3. He said, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my, fe Aquila, Aquila, my fellow workers, I can't talk today, in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. What do we know about this couple? Number one, we know they supported Paul in the ministry. Number two, we know they risked their life for Paul, both of them at some point, And we know that they had a church meeting in their home. What we know about them is that, them is that they were credibly and powerful and impactful for God because they were unified on mission for Jesus. These couples, listen, all the couples, look at this next slide. God wants to unite you together to do something significant for his glory. And the only way God's ever going to do anything significant in your marriage relationship is if you're united for his glory. Now, some of you are not married and you're sitting there thinking, oh, I'm, come on, man, this is week three. You're just talking to married people all the time. What about me? Right. What about my life? What am I supposed to do? Right. How does this apply to me? 
We talked about it last week, but if you want a Jesus-focused relationship sometime in the future, and I've never, I've never met a Christian girl that didn't. Some of the Christian guys, they can't think past lunch. But most Christian women, they think, in the, I want to have a godly, right, Jesus-pleasing relationship in the future. I want to have a Jesus-focused marriage, right? If you want a Jesus-focused marriage in the future, you need to be a Jesus-focused Christian today. It starts now. You don't want to wait till someday. Someday may never get here. Look at this next slide. Don't wait till tomorrow to be who God is calling you today. God is calling you to be Jesus-focused, Jesus-centered, on mission for him right here, right now. You don't have to wait until tomorrow. You don't need anybody. He completes me. No, he doesn't. You don't need anybody to complete you. You can serve God fully, faithfully, right here, right now, single. Single as the day you were born. And I don't have time to go into it, but the Apostle Paul talks about in the book of 1 Corinthians how blessed it is to be single and not to be tied down by marriage, okay? And what he says is this, that for some of you, you've got this gift of singleness, and it's good that you have that because... Marcus Kelly translation. Because once you're married, you got to worry about your wife. You got to worry about your husband. You got to pay the bills. We got to take care of the kids and all these things. Well, now, well, they're a part of your ministry. Paul is saying, look, you can chase after Christ. You can run after God's calling on your life way more when you're it's, all you got to worry about is you. Then when you got, I got to worry about him. I got to worry about her. And so there's actually a blessing in singleness when it comes to serving God. But Paul says, not all of you have that giftedness. I'd rather you marry than live like a bunch of sinners is what he said. I'd, I'd have you marry. So don't wait till tomorrow to be who God is calling you to be today. You're not waiting for some man to complete you. You are complete in Christ. You're not waiting for some woman to make you a full person. You are complete in Christ. Serve him today. The number one objective, if you're single, the number one objective in your life right now isn't to get married. It's to serve God with all of your heart. I heard a pastor tell this story years ago, several years ago, and I always remember it when we're talking about this. He talked about this young lady that grew up in a Christian home. She loved the Lord, and like a lot of, a lot of people do, she was praying for her spouse, right? Way before she, she was like, when I get married, when I grow up, when I grow up, I want a godly man, you know, and he's going to love the Lord and the church. He's going to be a leader, right? He's going to be six foot two with a head full of hair. He's just, he's just a handsome devil. And I just, and he's going to love the Lord. And we're going to have this wonderful relationship, this wonderful marriage. And that's what she was praying for. That's what she was asking for. And she, she finally got to the age she went to college. When she went off to school, she joined a sorority. When she joined the sorority, they would have those sorority parties that they tend to have. And she joined in. First, she never partied in her life. She never drank in her life. And she started hanging out with that sorority. She started drinking. And then a little bit of drink. One party led to a second party, to a third party. The girl was drinking all the time. It led to multiple sexual partners, right? Then it even began to work its way into drugs. So it's not, she's on alcohol and drugs, multiple sexual partners. She's absolutely absolutely spiraling down. And when she got almost to the very bottom, when she, about the time she recognized things are bad in my life, I have gone so far in just a couple of years away from who I used to be and who God has called me to be. She recognized this in her own life. And then when she saw that, she, she, uh, uh, about that same time, she saw a young man, six foot two, head full of hair. Hence, I heard women like that. Alicia don't, Amen. And so, but listen, and he loved the Lord. He was a leader. He was respected, right? All his peers looked to him. He was respected, loved the Lord, a man of prayer, faithful to the church, faithful in service. She called her mama and she's like, mama, I've met him. 
He's the guy. He's the, the guy that I've been praying for all these years. I finally met him, and she basically was like, I'm going to try to get to know him. I think this is the answer to my prayers. And her mama said, honey, you need to understand that a man like that isn't looking for a woman like you. A man like that isn't looking for a woman who's living like you're living right now. See, because a godly man like that, they're not going to lower their standards for that. A godly woman isn't going to lower their standards for that. You don't want to wait until someday in the future to be who God is calling you to be right here, right now. If you want a God-honoring, mission-driven home and marriage sometime in the future, be that person right now. You need to be that person today. And no matter where you've been before this moment, look at this verse, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 21. It says, so if anyone purifies himself from anything dishonorable, he'll be a special instrument, set apart, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've seen, no matter what situation you have found yourself in, there's forgiveness in Christ Jesus. And you can be purified and you can become a special instrument, set apart, useful to the master if you'll let them. Become the person that you're looking for. That's good for all of us. Listen, dads, become the kind of husband that you want your son to be someday. Moms, be the kind of wife that you want your daughter to be some. No, 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 let's rewind that. Dads, be the kind of husband that you would want your daughter to marry someday. Moms, be the kind of wife that you'd want your son to marry someday. Dad, honor your wife the way that you would want your daughter honored in the marriage relationship. Dad, honor your wife the way that you would want your son to honor his wife. Mom, honor your husband in your marriage relationship Right, the way that you would want your daughter to be honored, or the way that you want your son to be honored, be who guys. We talk about it all the time, and if you've been with us for a long time, you've heard this a dozen times. But it's true, and it's not a hundred percent. It's just a principle. But so often, when it comes to children, we don't get what we want; we get what we are. So often, don't fool yourself and think that you're a dishonorable man raising honorable children. You might. You might, but it's not likely. It's not likely. So why do we get married? Look at this next slide. Because we can serve Jesus better together than we can apart. Really, if, that, if that's not right, it doesn't matter how much I love. It doesn't matter how much I care. It doesn't matter how much I tingle every time, right? It doesn't matter how I get butterflies in my belly every time. None of that really matters if I can't serve Jesus better together than we can apart. It doesn't matter. And what's the goal when we get married? Look at this next slide. To be Jesus-focused and united and on mission for Jesus. Let me ask you, what's your mission? What are you striving for? What are you pointing at? Right? I mean, what's your goal? Like Some of you, I'm like, you need to be unified. And you're like, well, we rode together here. Isn't that enough? Not enough. I thought about this this morning, and there's some couples in our church that I think are good examples of what it means to be unified. Now, they, I didn't ask permission. I figured, asked for forgiveness, and right? Because and I'm going to embarrass them. And uh, some of them are here, some of them aren't. Some of them were in the early service. But uh, there's couples I can look at and you can see, man, they're unified. They're united, not perfect, not that they're never on the struggle bus, but they're unified. I think about uh, Bob and Kay Ivy. Bob, they were in our early service this morning. Bob teaches, he's a deacon here. He teaches in a senior adult Sunday school class. Kay uh, teaches um, the, the uh, little children's uh, Sunday school class. 
Uh, they both lead up kind of our senior ministry here at the church, and they've just done a bang-up job with it. They've done a great job. It's been a huge blessing. But just like Priscilla and Aquila, what you get when you see Bob, you see Kay. When you see Kay, you see Bob. They're usually operating together as a unit. Again, not perfect or anything like that, and they'll be the first ones to tell you. But they're unified and on mission. I think about Chance and Betsy Blank. Now, they came to Grace a couple of years ago. They absolutely have the gift of hospitality, right? They're always suffering. They fed all the seniors and me and Alicia not long ago. And then I took some home and I ate and ate and ate. It was awesome. But listen, sometimes what unites you, we're united by what we love and we're united by what we hate. What I mean, if you got somebody at work you don't really care for, but you both hate the boss, you got some common ground. Amen? Right? Sometimes we're united by what we hate. And they recognize what, you know, debt does in the life of young families and couples and ministry. And they hate that debt. And they recognize the blessedness of being debt-free. Last year, they did a financial peace class, offered it right here at the church. They're going to do that again because they hate that debt. But they love God's people and they want to see them set free. I mean, again, not identical. And they, I mean, some of the hardest workers you ever met, well, she makes him work hard. Amen? That's kind of how that works. Now, if you don't believe me, just look at his hands when you see him. He blames every little cut on his hands. Because they're always working. Love the Lord and they love people. I, I, I think there's other couples uh, that I could think of. I thought of uh, uh, Clay and Chandra Murley. Clay and Chandra. I mentioned in the first service, Chandra has this incredible ability to, when something's happening at the church, to recognize and see you know, what needs to be done and then yell at Clay and make him do it. Amen? <laughs> Teamwork. No, I'm just kidding. They're both, Clay's active, you know, he leads our, our, our youth Sunday school class. He's over our YAC this year. Chandra, her fingerprints is all over our children's ministry here at the church. Again, they're not identical, but they're on mission together. And there's so many others that we could, we could mention. I thought about, I saw them in, uh, I saw Sabrina in the early service, Luke and Sabrina Butler, one of our new families that have been coming. I walked out there in the foyer um, uh, one Sunday. She was teaching Sunday school, I mean Sunday school. She was teaching children's church and he had security. You know, and I just thought, man, that's awesome. That's awesome. I think about Jennifer and Justin. Uh, Jennifer uh, Emerson, you know, she works here at the church. She's an employee of the church, right? But we can never pay her for everything that she actually does, especially things on her free time and, and all of that. And Justin does so much around here together. They wouldn't be able to do what they do unless they were unified and on mission together. And I could go on and on and name so many people. It's not about being perfect. Write this down. It's not about being identical. It's about being together. And I don't mean just physically together, spiritually, emotionally. We're on mission. We're in this together. We are a home team, baby, you and me. We're not the same. Me and Alicia aren't the same, right? We have different personalities, but yet we're on mission together, right? We're, we know where we're going. We know what God is doing in our lives, and we're committed to that, and we're going together. So listen, don't just share an address together. Don't just share a bed together because everything is about the kids and now you're just really married to a stranger. Don't do that. Married or single, focus on Jesus. Unite together around his mission for your life. Your mission isn't going to be Chance and Betsy's mission. Your mission isn't Jennifer and Judge. Your mission isn't Marcus and Alicia. Your mission isn't Clay and Chandra, Bob and Kay. Your mission, that's not your mission, but God has a mission for your family, for your marriage. Focus on Jesus. 
Get on mission, whatever he is calling you to do. Get on the same plan that God has for you. Because what God has for us is better than anything we could make up on our own. And that's what we want. Do you want it? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much again for just the blessing of this moment. We thank you for your word. I'm so grateful, God, that you have revealed yourself to us through your son and through your word. And God, that you have a plan. Thank you for family. You knew what you were doing and we're so grateful. God, thank you for purpose and for a mission. Listen, guys, every head bowed, every eye closed, you're here. Listen, as we go in this invitation, nobody leave unless it's an emergency. But you're here this morning. You recognize that you're saved, that you've been forgiven, right? The the Holy Spirit confirms with your spirit you're a child of God. You've done business with God. You know that you've been forgiven. And so what's our application uh, prayer, if you will, for this message this morning? It's simply this. Two steps. Number one, God, is there any sin in my life? God, is there anything I need to be purified from so I become a special instrument? that you would use. God, reveal any sin in my life and then do do business with that sin. But part two is, am I focused on Jesus? Is my marriage, my relationship centered on Christ? Is my singleness centered on Christ? Is my family centered on Christ? Are we on mission together? Are we united? And so your prayer this morning could simply be this. Father God, show us the mission and help us to be united, single or married. Is that your prayer this morning? Raise your hand all over the congregation. I'm gonna pray for all of us, all over, all over. Father God, we do, again, we thank you for whatever station in life we find ourselves in because we know that you've called us to it. And God, search our hearts. Lord, the sin that we have, whatever separating us from you, keeping you from using us. God, we repent, we confess and repent and turn from our sin. And God, help us to be focused on your mission, not my mission, not somebody else's mission, but what you've called us to do. Lord, help us to see your glory and God, how you want to glorify yourself in our relationships. God, we surrender our marriage to you. We surrender our family to you. God, we surrender our singleness to you. Lord, use it. Let's never head bowed, every eye closed. Just a moment. There's some of you here this morning, you don't know that you're saved. You don't know that you've been forgiven. You haven't done business with God. And God has been speaking to your heart even before you walked in here. And you know that you need Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Look up for just a second. Look at this verse, 1 Timothy 1, verse 15. It says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Jesus Christ, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Maybe you think you've gone too far, that you've done too much that you've somehow ventured out into uh, no man's territory, if you will, and that Jesus wouldn't save you or he wouldn't want to forgive you, right? That you've just gone too far. God's word says he came to save sinners. And Paul says that he's the chief of all sinners. But I bet if we ever really got alone and, and, and examined our own hearts, we'd say the same thing. God, I'm the chief sinner, right? Because we all know how bent we are towards sin. We're sinners by choice, sinners by nature. Jesus came to save sinners. Are you a sinner this morning? He came to save you. If you're not, don't worry about it. 
But look what he did. Look at this next verse. First Peter chapter three, verse 18. It says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the spirit. That's incredible that he came to exchange places. We can read this verse like this. For Christ also suffered once for Marcus. Jesus for Marcus. That he might bring Marcus to God. Being put to death in the flesh but made alive by the Spirit. My name would just fit perfectly in there. Because that's what he did. He came and he bled and he died for me. He was resurrected for me and for you. Read it again. Put your name in there. For Christ also suffered once for you. Jesus for you, that he might bring you to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. He paid the price for your sins. He paid a price you could never pay. He paid a debt that you could never pay. But his perfect life, his sinless death, and the incredible true resurrection. Do you know him? Have you trusted him? Why wait? Let's pray one more time. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You know that you need Jesus, ma'am. Ma'am, you know that you need Jesus. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Pray for your neighbors. Listen, in this moment, I just want to pray with you. If you're here and you know that you need to pray to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I will not single you out. I will not embarrass you. I promise. That's not what we do here. But right now, in your seat, you know God is speaking to you about your sin and you need to be forgiven and saved. You're never going to be that husband he's calling you to be. You're never going to be that wife or anything else until you get this right. Is he calling you? Answer and say yes. Put your yes with his yes. He already said yes. Why don't you surrender your life to him? Every head bowed, every eye closed. And right now, you're in this moment, you know that you need to pray to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Would you slip your hand up for just a second? God bless you. I see you. I see you in the back, in the front. I see you in the back. I see you. Anyone else? It's not too late. Listen, even if you weren't one of those who just raised their hands and sitting there in your seat and you know that you need Jesus, man, why don't you pray this prayer? It's not the prayer. It's, it's you humbling yourself before God, surrendering your life to him. Why don't you simply just pray a prayer like this and say, Father God, tell him, say, Lord, I'm a sinner. But God, I turn from my sin and I turn to Jesus. Lord, I repent of my sin. Save me, Jesus. Tell him, I'm putting my faith and trust in your death, burial, and resurrection. All of me, Jesus, I surrender to all of you. Save me, Jesus. I promise you, according to God's word, he says, if anyone who calls on my name shall be saved. Did you call on him? Did you mean it? Listen, I want to encourage you to make that decision public. The first thing that Christ asks us to do is follow through and be baptized. Have you been baptized? Maybe you recognize this morning even that your baptism is on the wrong side of your salvation. We get saved and then we get baptized. That's the order that you see in the New Testament. Do you need to be baptized? Why don't you come this morning and we'll celebrate with you and we'll schedule that time for you and rejoice with you and pray with you. Maybe you're here this morning and you recognize that Grace Baptist Church is your church home. That you and your family are united in serving King Jesus right here from Grace. Why don't you come this morning and make it official? Put on a jersey. Be a part of the team right here at Grace. If God is calling, why don't you answer and say yes? Just be faithful. But whatever it is, I want to encourage you to do business with God during this invitation. Father God, we surrender this time to you, Lord. We love you. 
It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Will you stand with me? You come. Don't wait. In need of grace. In need of love. In need of mercy raining down from high above.